Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. It's on page 860 in the Pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is in himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Please keep your Bibles open as we begin a new series on the Gospel according to Apostle John. Oh, there's a story about uh, Steve and his girlfriend. Uh, let me assure you, it's not the Steve the drummer that we know. Uh, this is Steve, um, a random guy who reported on a dinner date that he had with his girlfriend. It was their anniversary. And so they head off to a fancy restaurant in Dublin. Uh, as they're having dinner, uh, 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 right at the corner of the restaurant, they notice someone famous. They notice that it's Bono uh, having dinner in the same restaurant with his friend. Uh, Bono is a huge uh, rock star, uh, rock superstar, and Steve and his girlfriend are huge U2 fans. And so they're wondering over dinner, uh, should we go over there and ask him for an autograph, maybe even a photo with Bono? Uh, but they notice, uh, so they're wondering what to do, and they, they eventually notice that Bono actually heads off to the bathroom, and so they take that opportunity to head over to that corner, to that table, to speak to Bono's friend, who he had been having dinner with. And so they asked the friend, uh, do you think Bono would mind if me and my girlfriend uh, got a picture or an autograph? Uh, we're big U2 fans, and it's our anniversary. And the friend tells him, uh, well, it's a, uh, he's a very private person, and we're having dinner. Uh, go, go back to your table, and if he's okay with it, uh, I'll wave you back over. And so then they head back to their table, uh, and uh, a couple of minutes later, Bono returns to his uh, table to have dinner with his friend, and his friend actually waves them over. Come over, come over. And so they can't believe their luck. They head over, they, they, they give their phone to Bono's friend and ask him, do you mind taking a photo for us? Uh, and about... Uh, you know, Bono's friend obliges and he, he takes photos for them and gets their autograph and so forth. And so they go back to their table, they finish their dinner. About an hour later, they ask for the bill. And the waiter says, 
Oh, don't, don't worry about your bill. Your bill's been paid for. And now Steve's confused, and he asks the waiter, who paid? Did Bono pay for our meal? And the waiter replies, no, it was Bruce Springsteen. Uh, you see, Steve, uh, Steve and his girlfriend didn't realize it, but Bono's mysterious friend, the friend that Bono was having dinner with, was Bruce Springsteen, another rock legend. Now, have you ever been in the presence of legends or celebrities, someone famous, but you didn't recognize them, like Steve and his girlfriend didn't recognize Bruce Springsteen, even asking him to take a photo for them? Uh, years ago, after catching up with uh, some, uh, a friend at uh, Samurai on Glen Ferry Road, uh, as we were heading out, I saw a guy, a big burly guy, uh, having uh, lunch there, uh, just outside Samurai. He probably ordered everything on the menu, like the table was just full of food, and he was just by himself. And my friend turns to me and says, do you know who that guy is? I said, no, no, I don't, I don't know who that guy is. Well, he's so-and-so. He, he plays in the AFL for Hawthorne or Melbourne or well, one of the footy clubs. He's apparently a famous guy. Now, I don't follow footy. I had no idea who this guy was. He was a famous person, yet I didn't recognize him at all. Have you ever had that sort of experience? Now, not recognizing a famous rock star or popular uh, footy player might not be a big deal. But today we begin a new series uh, on the gospel according to the Apostle John. And what John wants and what my prayer is, is this. That we recognize who Jesus is. That we recognize who Jesus is like we recognize our mum or dad, our brother or sister, or our husband or wife. And that doesn't mean wanting his autograph or an Insta photo, but to so believe in him that we become children of God. That that's why John wrote the gospel. He wants us to recognize Jesus and not to miss him, but to recognize Jesus and so believe in him. That's why he wrote the gospel. He tells us why he wrote the gospel towards the end of the gospel in John chapter 20 from verse 30, 31. Jesus performed many other signs. John tells us, as we'll study John, he tells us of some of the signs that, that Jesus performed. But John is now saying at the end of the gospel, Jesus performed many other signs. He doesn't tell us all of them. He tells us some of them. But he, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recording this book. But these are written. So why did John write the gospel? These are written, he tells us, that you may believe, that you and I might believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In fact, we see this intent, this purpose, in John's writing of the gospel in today's passage as well. Now, today's passage uh, is not a narrative. It's, it's more like a prologue. Uh, it's the prologue of the gospel, the introduction to the fourth gospel that we have, like an overture in an opera. That is, today's passage introduces us to the main themes that John will explore and unravel throughout his gospel, including the main character. And the main character is, of course, Jesus and his purpose. And what that might, but that purpose is, is, is found in John chapter 20, but we also see it in today's passage, in the structure of the prologue. Now, you might remember a couple of years ago when I was preaching through uh, Mark's Gospel, which we've now finished. Uh, from the time we studied Mark's Gospel, uh, that there was a Greek writing style that I refer to, which is called a chiastic style. You might remember the sandwich uh, as an illustration that I used to explain it. Now, John's Gospel, the, in the prologue here, 
He also uses this Greek writing style called a chiastic structure, or what we call a sandwich. Uh, it, it, it's to emphasize a point. And if you're like me and you love meat because I'm a son of a butcher, I love my meat, the meat is the best part of the sandwich, which is found in the middle in this picture. And so here we have in the prologue a chiastic structure, and I've put it on the screen here for you. 18 verses broken down into different sections based on themes, ideas. So A, verses 1 to 5, is about the Word of God, which corresponds to A dash. Uh, Verses 16 to 18, the Word and the Father. Uh, B corresponds to B dash and C, C dash. Now C, C, B, and A A dash, they, they expound, they go further and beyond what A, B, and C have already told you. But the heart and the center of where it all leads you to is the meat of the sandwich, and that's D, which doesn't have a corresponding verse. Because everything, A, B, C, is all driving you so that you might understand and respond to D. And what is D? It is so that A, B, C, you recognize who Jesus is, so that D, you might believe in him. You might recognize who Jesus is, so that you might believe in him, D. John wants us to believe in Jesus so that we might become children of God. So you might have been going to church all your life and you know of Jesus as I know of footy players. But do you recognize Jesus? Have you received him into your life? Your parents might be Christians And you might know of Jesus, as Steve knows of Bruce Springsteen, but do you recognize Jesus? Do you personally, in your heart of hearts, believe in him as your personal Lord and Savior? That's the question I want you to be thinking about today because it's one of the things that John wants us to grasp and to know. You know, it's one thing to know of Jesus and be culturally Christian, but it's a totally different thing to recognize him, to receive him, to believe in him, and thereby become a child of God. They're completely different things. To be someone who knows of Jesus and to be culturally Christian, as opposed to someone who has truly received him and believed in him, and thereby have become a child of God. Where do you sit? That's what I would like you to be thinking about and reflecting on today and as we unravel John's gospel over the coming weeks. Now, before we continue, why don't I say a short prayer for us uh, and then we'll get into today's passage. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray that as we study John's gospel over the next couple of weeks, that you might help us to So recognize Jesus that we might believe in him, that we might become your children and live each and every day in faith, in love, and in truth. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now, as you would have noticed, today's passage is uh, uh, quite uh, detailed. There's a lot going uh, on in there. Uh, After all, the prologue 
it introduces us to many themes, including John the Baptist being the witness who points us to who Jesus is. But that means that we won't have time to explore all the themes and all the ideas because we'll, we'll explore those ideas and themes as we study John's Gospel, such as John the Baptist, who he is and what he did next week. So we're not going to cover everything. So the best use of our time this morning is to focus on what's particularly unique in today's passage, and that is the concept of the Word of God. There are three aspects of the Word of God that we want to explore this morning that we need to appreciate. The first one is that the Word of God, that the Word is God. Verses 1 to 5, the Word is God. The second point is that the Word became flesh in verse 14. And third, the Word has made God known, verses 16 to 18. And then we will conclude with the importance of recognising the Word. So first, who's the Word? Now, if you were to write an autobiography of your own life, where would you begin your story? Maybe you would start with your birth, even though you don't remember it. Or maybe you would start with your first job, since you would remember that. Or maybe you'll trace your ancestry or the story of your parents. You can start your story anywhere, and that's what we also see in the four Gospels that we have. Well, Mark begins with Jesus' public ministry, with his baptism. Uh, Luke begins with the events that leads to Jesus' birth. Matthew, however, goes further back. He starts with a genealogy and traces Jesus all the way back to Father Abraham. But John takes us back even further, right to the very beginning, right back to a time when there was no time, right back into the beginning when there was no time or matter. Now that's hard for us to imagine because we live in time and matter. It's all we've ever known, we've ever experienced, and that's because we're created beings. We're born into time and matter. We didn't come from nothing, we came from something. But not so with the word. Before time and matter, before anything was created, before the sun rose in the morning and the stars lit up the night sky, before the waves rose with the morning tide and the clouds poured down its first raindrops, before a dog barked and a baby ever cried, there was the Word. And the Word is God. We see this in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now these words in verse 1 of John echoed the very first word, verse, of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just as God was there before anything was created in the beginning, so here we're told that the word was there in the beginning before anything was created. And so who is the word? Verse 1 tells us the word is God. And God was in the beginning before creation, so too was the Word. But notice that the Word and God are distinct. The Word was with God, but the Word was also God. So what does that mean? How can there be one God, but you have God and then the Word of God, who is also God? Well, do you remember how God created the heavens and the earth? The story of Genesis 1. 
Well, God simply speaks. And his powerful word creates. God speaks, his word creates. And so when God said, let there be light, there was light. God simply speaks and his powerful word creates. When God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, let the land produce vegetation, he created male and female and vegetation, etc. God simply speaks and God's word creates. His powerful word creates. And now we're told that his creative word is God. So verse 3, through him, that is the word of God, God the word, through him all things were made. Without him, without the word, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. The word is life, just as God is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so who is the Word? The Word is God. In Him is life, just as God is life. Yet the Word is distinct from God, because God made all things through Him who is the Word. This means the Word wasn't created. But the Word is the Creator. He wasn't made, but through him all things were made. So the first point is very clear. The word is God. The second thing to note in this passage about the word is that he became flesh. That is, the creator God became a created being. The God through whom all things were created entered his own creation. The word became flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, the word for dwelling here is literally tabernacled. That's an unusual word. It's not a word that you often hear. And so where might you have heard it from or have come across it before? Well, you might remember back to Exodus after God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He told Moses to build him a tabernacle, that is, a tent. And at that time, all Israel lived in tents because they were living in the desert en route to the promised land. And so God told Moses, make me a tent, place it in the center, in the camp, and that is where I'll dwell. That is the, my presence amongst my people. And so here what we're seeing is that the word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. That is, God lived amongst us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And when the cloud covered the tabernacle, we're told in Exodus 40 that the glory of God filled the tabernacle so that even Moses couldn't enter it. And just as God is glorious, so the word is glorious. The word we're now told, is the Son of God. So verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 14, you see, describes to us the incarnation. God the Son became God in the flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. We have seen his glory. The Son takes upon himself human flesh, so he's 100% human. Yet he remains fully God. He's 100% God. 
So the second point is, the word became flesh. The third thing we're now told about the word is that the word has made God known. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has seen God the Father. You haven't, I haven't, no one has. Not even Moses. Moses saw the back of God, but had never seen God. But the Son is God. He's in the closest relationship with the Father. No one gets closer. And the Son has now made the Father known. And so if you want to know what God is like, look at his Son. If you want to know the mind of God, look to his Son. If you want to love what God loves and hate what God hates, look to his Son. And in case you're wondering who the word is, the name of the Son of God, we're now finally told in verse 17, for the first time in the Gospel. His name is Jesus Christ. Let me read from verse 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through the law, God offered grace. But through Jesus Christ, his only son, who became man for us, God offers grace in a way that we could never imagine. And that is so that you and I can become children of God. So the third point here is that the word has made God known. So let's briefly recap. The word is God who became flesh and has made God known. Now this isn't just good information and nice to know, but it's to lead to a response, and it's this. Those who receive the word become children of God. It's not enough to just believe it and to know it, but you must receive it. You must say, yes, Jesus is God who became flesh and made God known, and now he is my Lord and Saviour. He is my God. You can't just believe it. You have to receive it. You see, when Jesus came, he came to his own chosen people, to the children of Abraham, to the children of the promise. But they didn't receive him. Verse 10, he was in the world, and through the, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's a great tragedy. It's a very sad verse in the Bible. He came to his own, but they, his own did not receive him. If you went to visit your parents and you knocked on their door and they open up and you say, oh, hey, hey, dad, hey, mom, it's great to see you again. I just came to visit. And they look confused and they say, who are you? Who are you looking for? And I say, oh, dad, mom, it's David, it's me, your son. And they say, oh, that's funny. Because I know David, but you're not it. You're a scammer. And they slammed the door shut on my face. Imagine that happened to you. It'd be devastating. And that's essentially what happened when Jesus donned the clothes of humanity 
and came into the world in which he created and went to his own, the people of the promise, and they slammed the door shut on his face. They had God dwell in their midst. He tabernacled amongst them and they didn't recognize him. He, he kept saying, I'm the son of God, I came. I came to live the life you can't and die the death you deserve. I came to offer grace and forgiveness. And they didn't receive him. They didn't let him in. The temporal priests met Jesus when he was 12 years old. And they asked them all sorts of questions. They, they, they were gobsmacked. They couldn't believe the answers that he would, was able to give. The wisdom in this 12-year-old boy. They'd never met anyone like him, yet they did not receive him. And as we'll see as we explore John's gospel and as we open up and look at each passage, and we will see that Jesus performs miracles that only God can do. From raising the dead and feeding the multitude, they didn't recognize him. But here's the promise. Here's what you and I need to hear. That if we do recognize Jesus and receive him and believe in him, we're not just going to get to know God and be known by him. We're not just going to get new life and eternal life. We get to become children of God. We see this at point D, verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. This is the good news of the gospel. The best news you can ever imagine, the greatest gift you can ever be given. Something you can't earn, something you can't claim, but something God can do. And that's to adopt you and me into the family of God. So that we can call him Father, Jesus our brother, and have life to the fullest. A couple of months ago, I was watching an uh, interview of Roger Federer uh, on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Now, in case you uh, don't know, Federer is arguably the greatest, t- um, table there, greatest tennis player of all time. He's won 20 Grand Slams, including eight Wimbledon titles. But he tells a story about a time when he was in London and was trying to get into Wimbledon. Uh, he had a few hours to kill while in London, while he was waiting for his flight, so he thought he'd drop into Wimbledon um, which is a very, very exclusive all-English tennis club. And so they drive up to the gate. The guard asks for Federer's membership card so that she could let him into the grounds. But Federer says, I don't have my membership card, but I am a member. Because he explains that if you've won a Grand Slam, you automatically become a member. That's how hard it is to get in. But the guard refused to let him in. In fact, she didn't even recognize that he's Roger Federer. So Federer shows, uh, says on the show, so I look at her one last time and I'm in panic now. And I still can't believe I said this because I feel bad about this. But I look at her and say, I've won this tournament eight times. Please believe me, I'm a member. Where do I get in? But the guard still refuses 
him entry. Eventually, uh, Federer heads towards another part of the grounds, and another security guard notices him, recognizes him, asks for photos and, and, and whatnot, and lets Federer into Wimbledon without a membership card. Federer then jokes, I thought about going over to the other side and giving a wave to the first security guard that I was in, but it didn't work. Now, friends, today we've been introduced to the gospel according to the Apostle John. And it's all about the word of God. The word of God who became flesh to make God known. And whoever recognizes him, whoever receives him, whoever believes in him will become a child of God. And so, friends, are you a child of God? Steve and his girlfriend must be kicking themselves for not recognizing Bruce Springsteen. The security guard at Wimbledon, who didn't recognize Roger Federer, must be so embarrassed. Let's not make the same mistake with Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, let's not make the same mistake and fail to recognize the Son of God who dwelt among us. And so as we study the gospel according to the Apostle John, we might be meeting Jesus for the hundredth time, but we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe Jesus is God? We might be reading the same story for the hundredth time, but we need to ask ourselves, have I received Jesus into my life? We might be hearing the same truths a hundredth time, but we need to ask ourselves, am I honestly living my life as God would have me live as a child of God? And so I hope you're as excited as me as we study John's gospel together over the next few weeks, and I hope and pray that you would, with me, pray that that would be true. Not just for ourselves, but our friends and our family, that we might recognize Jesus and become children of God. Amen.